Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. It's interesting to me, today in our Seven Nevers from Scripture series, we're talking about justice and how the Scripture tells us, as you'll see uh, in a few moments, about how God's justice is to flow like a never-ending stream. And when I was thinking about how do we so often look at justice in terms of our relationships, where we live, how we do work, where we worship, all these things like this, it's so easy for us to get, uh, get it confused. And I really wanted to find some type of a of an illustration from our personal life in this regard, kind of like this. Uh, and the only thing I could come up with uh, really has to do with dog dookie. <laughs> um, you don't hear that word dookie very much anymore, but um, it's applicable for the, for the day. Uh, because I had a moment, uh, for those of you who know, we, we recently got us a new little golden retriever puppy. And we've had a Shih Tzu for a long time. She just turned 15 years old. And uh, there is a difference in the amount of waste that a Shih Tzu and a Golden Retriever leaves. <laughs> We're not going to get into that kind of detail. But I can remember that over the course of our married life and having dogs, uh, the one issue it seems that we've had the biggest problem in relating with our neighbors has to do with our dog piles. Uh, in just about every house where we've lived, we've had an issue with neighbors and our dogs. This one's a little bit different because we have barriers on both sides of so flower beds and things, and uh, we've been able to better train our dogs. But I had one of those moments of <sighs> coming to Jesus the other day because I was out walking Millie, and I happened to notice in our yard a spot where another dog had gone. And I knew it wasn't our dog because it didn't match either one of the sizes, and it wasn't in a location where I allowed this dog to go, my dog to go. And you know what? I got a little perturbed. <laughs> now granted, our yard looks kind of like a minefield from a world war at times. I do a good job scooping it. I promise we're not just talking about this all day, but, um, but here's, here's the thing. In my younger, more naive years, Especially if a neighbor had a dog, I was like, you know, what's another pile going to matter? And here I was. Now, granted, I am closer to my get-off-my-lawn yard um, time in my life than I am uh, everyone loves me in my dog's life. But uh, what I came to realize was that there was a little bit of hypocrisy in the way that I felt about someone else allowing their dog to make a mess in my yard. Even though when you look around my yard, there's plenty of mess to be had. And that hypocrisy was like a jerk to my neck. It bothered me that I got so aggravated with someone else allowing their dog to mess in my yard when my yard already looks like mess. Friends, when we think about these types of things like justiceness, justice is like justice and righteousness and doing things when we live and do life with our neighbors or the people around us, uh, it is a call and a challenge for us to make sure that we're looking at this the right way. And so when I saw that video, and I saw it a couple years ago, but it came back to mind. Is, you know, that guy could have acted very hypocritically before he 
created the pathway, the driveway raceway. But I would be interested in finding out if his initial reaction was a little more like, get off my driveway, you know. I'd be interested in knowing the video is great because it speaks into his willingness to do something for his neighbor. But I'd be willing to bet he wasn't always so gracious about it. I don't know. That's just a suspicion I have. But it leads really well into how we're looking at our text for today and our topic, which comes as the third installment in our Seven Nevers from Scripture series. So if you will, turn with me. Our key verse for today comes from the book of Amos, the fifth chapter, verses 21 through 24. And if you've not yet done it, this would be a great time if you have your Hope Church Plus app handy or your follow-along notes inserted inside the info guide. Uh, That way you can follow along with our content, and it gives you an opportunity to share it if there's something that you'd be interested in. So let's look at our verse from Amos this morning, and this is out of the New Living Translation. Now, this is going to come across a little stark, but there's a good reason for it, because this is God speaking to the prophet, or speaking to the people through the prophet. So these are God's words, okay? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. The word of God for the people of God. Let's give thanks to God as perhaps we enter into this text with another. Mm. It's tough. It's a tough word, isn't it? We look at these words from the prophet and we hear God say things like, your gatherings, your gifts, this type of stuff means nothing to me. In fact, I hate it. I despise it. It's like a stench in my nostrils. You know that thing that smell is the sense that is greatest tied to memory, right? And so when you get one of those little smells in your mind, in your nose, and it goes to your brain, it's like you can remember. Wow. So we think about how God created us, and we think about these words that says our religious gatherings, our gifts, our music, all the things that we do, if they are not done justly, something that God despises. He hates it. It stinks. Does that trouble you at all? It does me. It really troubles me because it calls to mind, much like my reaction to the neighbor that allowed their dog to mess in my yard. My yard is already full of mess. It reveals to me some of my own vulnerability to hypocrisy. And so let's look at that idea of hypocrisy, first of all. Uh, Hypocrisy uh, is a Greek acting term. Thespians, right? It's a Greek acting term. That means someone who is taking, or is an actor, who is taking creative license with a role. So it's kind of like, I'm not calling Johnny Depp a hypocrite in this regard. I'm not talking about his court case with his ex-wife. I'm talking about when he was signed on to play Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Johnny Depp was not intended to be the central character of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Orlando Bloom was. Orlando Bloom's character, who I can't even remember his name right now, Will Turner, that's right, thank you, uh, was not, well, he was designed to be the 
the core central character of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And it wasn't until they started filming and they saw this flamboyant, larger-than-life portrayal of Jack Sparrow that Johnny Depp was in, they realized, you know what, we're going to have to change the way that this whole movie is centered and written and developed. And all of a sudden, the movies really became more about Jack Sparrow than they did about Will Turner. And see, Johnny Depp is one of the greater actors of our generation. And one of the things that he did when he got that role of Jack Sparrow, he says, I'm going to make him my own. And even though it was different from what the, the writers and the directors of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies came out with, it was so good, everything else turned and revolved around him. This is so often how we approach our faith life, if we're being completely honest and authentic. It is easy for us to think that we've got to play a role, right? It's so easy for us to think that we have to act a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way, smell a certain way. It's easy for us to think that playing Christian, if we are taking creative license, so to speak, because what's happening is we are interpreting what other people want to see or expect based on our preconceived notions, based on our expectations, And God does not want us to do that. God wants us to be authentically his. God does not want us to play at being Christian. And so when we look back at this passage from Amos, what we are realizing is that people were playing at faith while lacking justice and righteousness in their relationships. People were playing at faith while lacking justice and righteousness in relationships. God wants our authentic heart, our full lives. Perhaps you've heard the old preacher cliche that coming and sitting in a worship center during worship does not make you any more of a Christian than if you were to go sit in your garage and call yourself a car. That's not the way it works. It's the authentic pulling of the heart and allowing God to speak into our heart that is what changes us and what makes us and helps us to realize this authentic connection that we have with God. And so God doesn't want us to gather in here and play at Christian. God wants us to come in here and authentically say, I am a sinner. I recognize that I need your grace. I need your help. I need your mercy. And Lord, I surrender my life to you. And I seek to be in relationship with you and connected to other people so that we can do life together. This is what God wants from us. Not our pretending or our performance art at faith. God wants us to acknowledge our sinfulness, our brokenness, and the need to connect with him and with other people. And so, we look back at that passage from Amos, and we see that God even rejects the gifts, the offerings that people were given. Why? Because they were not given authentically. They were not given as a response to the love and the grace and the God, love and the grace and mercy of God. This is a challenging thing. And you'll see on the screen, it says, God does not want our trinkets because God has everything. The biggest, the best, the most that any of us could give would be like a trinket to God. When Ethan was young, I mean, like three, four, he's about to be 21. Can you believe that? And he's here on the front row. But um, I can remember how he loved to pick little wildflowers and weeds dandelions, things along those lines. Purple-headed henbit, which was the bane of my existence in one of the houses where we lived and we had a problem with the neighbor. (laughs) He 
he would go pick these little weeds and wildflowers, and he'd bring them to us as though he was bringing us the greatest gift in the world. And you know what? To me, I was trying to kill that stuff. But when he brought it to me, out of his love and his desire to connect, it was a gift that meant the world. That's how God views our giving and our offering and our love. It doesn't absolve us from giving and being generous people. In fact, it challenges us to be more giving, more generous out of that authentic desire to connect with God and to see his ministry here in our church and our community and around the world come together. This isn't, an absol- this isn't absolution for us to say, oh, I don't have to give anything. I'm going to be generous. On the other hand, it says we've got to be more giving, more generous, because even God looks at the biggest and the best and the greatest things that we could do as mere wildflowers. But when they sprout up and then when, they allow, when we allow them to take root in our community, we are naturally providing beauty and hope and peace in ways that people can come to know the love and the grace of God better than we could ever do. It's about us putting everything in perspective. God has everything, but God asks for us to give him everything. Jesus challenged the Pharisees even with their giving and their generosity. And he says, you are so careful to even snip one out of every ten leaves off a plant or a bush to bring it to me. But your heart is not in the right place. What you'll come to realize is that when your heart is in the right place, God isn't expecting you to give one-tenth of your trees or your bushes or whatever. God expects you to give all of it. And when we give God all of it, God performs miracles. Friends, that's what he's talking about here in Amos. Again, he's not absolving us from our giving or our generosity. He says you're only looking at the small portion. You're only looking at the fraction. Give God the whole thing, and God will bless the whole thing. God is asking for us to authentically change and transform our lives. So we looked at hypocrisy, and now I want us to look at the idea of justice. Now, justice, from a biblical point of view, means to make whole. To make whole. Not a whole, which means hollowing something out, but to fill it in, to bring a fullness, a fulfillment. And what we see from our passage in Amos is that justice should flow like a river to a larger body of water. It flows like a river from a larger body of water. When we go down to Panama City, there's this little place off the, uh, the, the hustle and bustle of the, of the main beach where all kinds of beautiful seashells shells, uh, and uh, sand dollars and things wash up on the shore. There's an area where not a lot of people come, and as a result, you can, you can find some absolutely beautiful things. But one of the things that is so cool is some little water tributaries and things that come down. This is where it comes into the ocean. And where it, pour, where it pours down into the Gulf of Mexico. And it is absolutely cool to see how it comes and how it meets. And you can see where it meets and where it swirls. And sometimes there's some extra goodies there. Sometimes there's some extra groaties there. But the reality is, this is where it all comes and where it meets together. And so when we look at justice, it is supposed to continuously flow like a smaller body of water into a larger body of water. And when they connect and when they meet, yes, there are times we are going to see 
the evidence of injustice, and it can be nasty. But there are also places where we can see the beautiful things that happen when we bring our acknowledgement that even in our best efforts, we have made a mess of things, and we have allowed the goodies that we thought to become goodies. And as a result, we need God's help to get us through it. And so, if you think about the image that we have from Scripture here, about a smaller body of water pouring into constantly into a larger body of water, what we recognize is that this has to be a constant movement from us to others to God. Our life in connected relationship with other people, how we come to connect our lives back to the heart and the soul of who God is and what he's asking us to do with other people. Think back to our video that we used to open this, open this message, right? The man made his driveway raceway for that one three-year-oldish little boy. And then later on you saw people from all ages and all walks of life coming and enjoying his driveway raceway. This is how God wants us to look at justice. We could approach it with a get off my lawn mentality. But what God is asking for us to do is to put ourselves out there to find a way to make others whole and to realize that other people will benefit as we do. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. And we must be mindful that people, when we are doing this, the people with whom we connect come from all different walks of life, have all different kinds of perspectives about theology and politics and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? And so as a result, we must be extraordinarily careful in judging other people by our own motives and preferences and preconceived notions. One of the things that we so frequently do is we judge others based on their worst behavior and ourselves on our best intentions. Have you ever found that to be true? We judge others based on their worst behavior and ourselves on our best intentions. Just like walking the dog. Who's going to care if there's one more pile? I care, it's my lawn, my dog, my mess. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 15 says these words. Don't be corrupt when administering justice. Never give special favors to poor people. And never show preference to important people. Judge your neighbor fairly. How do you read this? How does this resonate within your soul? Leave it up on the screen one more time. I want to read through it. Actually, let's read through it together. Let's do that, right? So if your neighbor's asleep, give a little elbow. Say, hey, Pastor Mark's going to ask us to read. Let's read this together. Don't be corrupt when administering justice. Never give special favors to poor people. And never show preference to important people. Judge your neighbor fairly. So this is a challenge for us when it comes to looking at justice. God wants us to look at all people through the way that he looks at us. We're all broken. We are all sinners. We are all needing to be redeemed. We are all needing the connection that comes when we love God and we love each other. And we can be so susceptible, so susceptible to judging other people based on our best intentions and their worst behavior. God wants us to see the world through the lens that we are all sinners in need of saving. 
in need of his grace, in need of his mercy, and in need of his forgiveness. And it changes the way that we engage the world when we do so accordingly. Like if you have a little three-year-old boy riding his bike in your driveway, you could put up a barrier, some sawhorses or something, to say, stay out of my lawn. Or you can make a raceway for them. And in the meantime, realize that the actions that you're doing for someone else are benefiting others as well. Which brings us to our third concept in this, which is righteousness. Righteousness is defined as acting in accordance with divine and moral law. It is doing what is right in God's eyes towards others into the world. So we are continuing this metaphor, so to speak, of the smaller body of water forming and flowing and feeding into the larger body of water. It's doing what is right in God's eyes toward others in the world based on divine and moral law. Now, one of the things that we see about righteousness is that it is not something that we can acquire. There is nothing you can do to be righteous. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans. He said, no one is righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. So does that mean we are hopeless in terms of experiencing righteousness? No. Because righteousness cannot be acquired. Sorry, it cannot be achieved, but it is acquired as a gift from God. I messed up my alliteration there. We cannot achieve righteousness. It's acquired as a gift from God. And this is true in the biblical mindset from governments to individuals. From the large body of water that might seek to flow into the smaller body of water. And so we feel these tensions constantly in the world about justice and how justice gets meted out from the government to individuals. And one of those tensions, one of those struggles is, is when we see injustice in the world and what it does to challenge our own sense of justice, period. Wasn't it Martin Luther King Jr. that said justice anywhere, or injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere? This also speaks into that whole idea mindset that when we break one little piece of God's law, we've essentially broken the whole thing. And so governments are tasked with trying to protect the rights of the people, but we are all imperfect. We have all fallen short. And so where we have to challenge ourselves in that individual living out our hope for justice in the world is down to the local, to the individual, helping every single person in our community from here in our church, throughout our broader community and across all creation to realize that they are loved by God and that we are called to serve our gathering, our giving when it's done justly, realizing that all of us are broken, all of us are sinners, all of us are in need of hope and help from God. That's where justice flows. You see, it's got to be our faith over the government forcing it on us. It's got to be our love of God and neighbor over it being legislated to us. And it's got to be authentic as opposed to some authoritarian trying to impress it upon us. Friends, those are challenging concepts. But from a Jesus follower, isn't this where we want it? I don't want to be forced. I want to have faith that God is going to take what I do and what I give and where I gather and multiply it. 
don't want it to be legislative. I want it to be a natural outpouring of who I am. And I don't want it to be an authoritative impression upon me. I want to authentically live and give the way that God sees fit. This is the challenge that we have. I used to think, as an old cliche goes, you can't legislate morality. And there's truth in that, right? You can't legislate morality. But one of the things that we're seeing as our community structure and our social contract just crumbles is that there are more and more attempts to legislate morality. The problem is, is we as human beings are legislating it or forcing it in ways that meets the wishes and the desires of those who have the power and those who are impressing it upon others. When that happens, guess what we tend to do? We tend to judge others based on their worst behavior and ourselves and our best intentions. And that reveals the hypocrisy that we so easily live into. We need a sense of righteousness that calls us to engage with the world and God based on God's laws, on God's love, in faith, and love, and authenticity. We have to be mindful of those times, however, when we get snagged in our hypocrisy. Playing church, therefore, while ignoring others, causes justice to dry up like an old creek bed. When was the last time you were walking or hiking or something and you saw an old dried up creek bed? How does it look? Interactive message time. How does that old dried up creek bed look? Dry. Uh, pardon me for, you know, asking for the obvious. <laughs> what else? Dirty? There was one up here I couldn't. Rocks, yeah, yeah. What about when it's hot in the summer? And the, gr- and the cracked, that's what I was looking for. And then you see sprigs of grass or weeds or something like that sneaking up. An old, dry creek bed. If we are not allowing justice to flow like a river, then our lives look like that old, dry, dirty, cracked creek bed. See, in biblical era, and even still today, very much a desert area. And so the idea of living water meant water that flowed. God wants our justice to live within us as we are flowing that faith into the larger body of water, our individual life, into the life of our community, the life of our church, our church life, and the life of our community, and throughout all creation. You see how this works? It is God's love flowing in us and through us that impacts our home, our school, our church, the place where we recreate, where we study, where we shop, wherever we do, whatever, right? It's our life flowing. And when we allow justice to quit flowing, it is like that old, dried up, useless, disgusting creek bed. If we are playing church and not adhering to God's call of mercy and justice, then our life, the places where we worship, where we live, where we study, where we learn, where we recreate, recreate, those begin to dry up as well. But living water 
streams of living water can flow from us out into the world. Jesus talked about that at a festival. One of those festivals that I'm sure was like a stench in God's nose. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me to drink of the righteousness of God, then streams of living water will flow from them. This is the promise that Christ gives us, is that when we allow our life to flow like the living water that God intended it to be, it brings moisture back to those dried up creek beds. It brings life back and the water will flow. So how can we flow with righteousness and justice? I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. The first thing is to not just go through the motions. Don't just go through the motions. Proverbs 21.3 says, Clean living before God and justice with our neighbors mean far more to God than religious performance. Read that again. Clean living before God and justice with our neighbors mean far more to God than religious performance. Don't just go through the motions. And so we can't just play at church. I don't mean don't play at church. I think God wants us to play at church. That's why we set up ping pong tables and uh, plastic axe throwing and uh, promises plastic, right? And uh, cornhole tables and things when the youth are here on Wednesday nights. God wants us to play at church, but don't pretend to play at church. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, and I'm just summarizing it on the screen here. It says, when your faith life is a performance, your audience is your reward. Even in prayer, fasting, and giving. Now, again, I'm summarizing 18 verses there. But this is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He talks about what happens when the hypocrites go to pray aloud out in the temple or the church or the street square. When they're fasting in such a way to say, oh, woe is me. I haven't eaten or drinking. That's not bad past tense, right? Bad grammar. I haven't had anything to eat in 40 minutes. Dear Lord, help me. I'm famished. And when we give in such a way to make it draw attention to ourselves, like the Pharisees that were clipping off one leaf out of every 10 from their bushes and their trees and say, oh, look at how faithful I am, but I'm not giving anything authentically. Jesus says, I don't want that. Your performance, your audience, when people watch you do that, that's the reward that you get. Now, what is interesting about the way that Matthew 6 and Jesus is teaching on prayer, fasting, and giving goes, is does it sound like anything we're impressing upon people right now in the season of Lent? Well, yes, because Lent is about coming to God in prayer, acknowledging our mortality, our brokenness. It's about fasting from the distractions in our world and then giving God the time, the energy, and or the money through his church or the community that we would have otherwise spent on the things for which we fasted. Jesus said, even when it comes to like the Lenten disciplines, prayer, fasting, and giving, if you're not doing it with your whole heart, then your reward is when people see you. And God is not one of those. Which means God wants your whole heart. Will you give God your whole heart? Matthew 9, 13 says, and this is from Jesus, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice 
For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now that might seem somewhat contradictory. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But there are two things here I want us to consider really quickly before we move to our closing question. Is there anything we can do to make ourselves righteous in the eyes of God? Don't say no. No, that's right. That's right. We've already talked about this. There's nothing you can do to achieve righteousness on your own. It is acquired as a gift from God. And so when Jesus says, I come not to call the righteous, on one hand, he's talking about those people who are playing at church, playing at faith, right? People who are trying to perform in such a way that they appear to be righteous or holier than thou or self-righteous or hypocritical. He didn't come to call them. He came to call those who know that they are sinners, that they are broken, they are in need of God's grace, they're in need of his mercy, they're in need of God's forgiveness. Those are the people that he's come to save and to call. What Jesus wants from all of us is to acknowledge our brokenness, our sinfulness, and to give our life over to God. That's when we realize that there's nothing we can do apart from Jesus' love in our lives that can make us righteous in God's eyes. It's all about Christ. He came to call sinners. He came to speak into our broken heart to make us whole in the eyes of God. And what is wholeness in the biblical language? It rhymes with usness. Justice. You see how this works? Friends, God's love and justice wants to flow like a never-failing stream to you. And it wants to flow like a never-failing stream through you to make a difference where you live, where you work, where you worship, where you learn, where you study, where you play, where you shop. God's love and justice wants to flow like a never-failing stream through you to change the world. So our closing questions for today. How are you guilty of hypocrisy? Where are those points in your life where it becomes abundantly clear that your judgment of others based on their worst behaviors and your judgment of yourself based on your best intentions, that's incongruent. And so how does true righteousness as a gift from God through your faith in Christ And justice, which comes down to us allowing that love and grace of God to flow from us like a never-failing stream, how does that strike you? It needs to come via faith over force, law over legislation, authenticity over autocracy. And then how is God calling into your sinner's heart? Your broken heart, your shattered heart. God is speaking into that. God is speaking into your life and your soul right here and right now.
And so as we think about how God's justice and his love wants to flow like a never-failing stream, may we be mindful of our hypocrisy. May we strive to do justice according to God's ways and allow that to bring the gift of righteousness, which none of us can achieve on our own apart from God in such a way that God looks at our gatherings and he looks at our giving and he says, I can do something with that. How about we start with changing the world? So may it be so in our lives this day. As the band makes her way back up to the stage, I want to close this in prayer. I want to ask you, as an altar call of sorts, if you are struggling with your own sense of hypocrisy, if you've been guilty of judging justice and righteousness and judging other people in ways that are not authentic to God, and if you yourself need to find that connection that will bring life and living back into your dry creek bed of a life. This altar is going to be open. It'll be a time for you to pray. and time for you to do some work with our Master, our Savior, and our Redeemer. And say, dear Lord, help your love and your justice flow to me and through me like a never-failing stream that I might do something new and unique change my home, change my church, change my community, change the world. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, we give you thanks for this day and for this message where you speak to challenge us and yet also to comfort us. Forgive us, Lord God, when we are guilty of hypocrisy because we so frequently do play like we're at a role in a play or some type of skit or drama or comedy. And Lord God, help us to see that justice comes to us through you. And then you ask us to be channels of it, that it may flow into the world. And even where it brings the mixture of the goodies and the grodies, help us, Lord, to see that we are caught up in all of it even the brokenness and the nastiness of our own life. But that's where your righteousness comes in. We so frequently think that it's something that we can achieve, but it's impossible apart from the love and the grace of your Son and our Savior Jesus. And so may we seek to receive his love in our life, to change our hearts and our lives from the inside out, that it may be like a dam breaking, that your justice may flow from us to us and out into the rest of the world. We ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.